0: Welcome to Become an Idol. This is episode 14 Becoming a Freelance Instructional Designer with Belvista Studios. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Kim Tui about making the transition to a freelance instructional designer. Kim shares a wealth of knowledge from her own transition from being a full-time employee to now a self-employed business owner. Bell Vista Studios is an instructional design and e-learning company located in Australia and... Kim is the founder, and she has gained a lot of experiences working with clients, and she shares them here in this episode. So even if you don't want to become a freelancer, you don't want to miss hearing from Kim. She is a bright light and so much fun to listen to. I have here with me today, Kim Tui. Oh man, I feel like I said that wrong. Did I say it right? Okay, let me try again. Let me get, let me try again. (laughs) I have here with me today, Kim Tui, and she actually is an owner of an instructional design and online learning agency called Bell Vista Studios. And I actually met Kim through Instagram and we just, I just love her content on Instagram. We started direct messaging each other. And then we just, we talked to one another and I found out that she really has a passion for helping people become a freelancer in the instructional design world. And so I thought, oh, we got to get Kim on because I know a lot of uh, you that listen also are interested in instructional design freelance. So, um, Kim, can you introduce yourself better and tell us about your company and what it is that you do? (laughs)
1: sure uh hello idol nation that's what I'm going to call your peoples (laughs) is that what you call your tribe or do you have another name I
0: mean idol nation is a really fun way to uh call them but I just say hey idols but I like it idol nation
1: all right (laughs) hey idols (laughs) thank you for listening thanks Robin for having me on and I just want to congratulate you on the launch of your course and more importantly, the fact that you actually have helped people land jobs and interviews. And I just think that's freaking awesome. So well done. Um, so yeah, like I run an end-to-end e-learning and instructional design company. Um We are based in Australia at the moment, but we're basically a virtual team, so we can work anywhere in the world, and that was important to me when wanting to start a business. Uh, Some of the team have been in London for two years. We're all back in Australia at the moment, but we all get along really, really well. We're we're hired for attitude, not skills, um, and just love what we do day to day.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. I love that you said that you're hired for attitude, not skills. I feel the same way, even like just in the people that I help, become idols is just like, well, are you ready to do the work?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It makes a big difference. Like it's incredible. If I just think about the talent in the team, you know, I took, I just was like, you're just a good human and I can get along with you and I can see that you will have a good work ethic and be, you know, put everything into it. So I'm willing to teach you everything there is about instructional design and e-learning and take a gamble um, because I just I can see who you are within like the potential and that has just proved right every time with the three girls that are on the team at the moment like it's amazing they're incredible so I do encourage people to look beyond the resume for sure
0: so what about you how did you like it started in instructional design how did you become an idol All right. I think
1: the most common answer that you probably get is like, I fell into it. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, look beyond that because we live in this land of, you know, find your passion, find your purpose. And I really believe that there's clues in our life. And so I'll tell you my story and hope to give you practical tips along the way that are transferable for your own journey idols. But if I take it way back, to my childhood. And I encourage you to look for those clues in your childhood as well. You know, I was in primary school, I was playing the teacher role, which the clue there is like, I like helping people do better. I was trying to coach and mentor them, even though I didn't know that at the time. I also really liked drawing. I couldn't draw like just from my imagination, but I was really good at copying things and appreciating what good design was. So now when I think, how do I use those skills today? That's how I come up with e-learning template designs and the look and feel and the user interface. Um, I also taught South Korean kids English. Um, I don't know how they went in life after being taught by me, but uh, (laughs) like there again is that clue of I like helping people be better. I like to see those people improve. And also like when I was young, like young teenage teenager, I was looking up how to run a business. At the time, I thought it was going to be a skateboard company. Um, but I was like trying to understand how do you market a business? What do you need to do to set up a business structure? And I think if you look at those clues, it it points me to the direction of I wasn't going to be an employee, I was going to end up doing my own thing in the thing that I liked. So when I put all of those things together, instructional design and e-learning and graphic design they all come together but what then takes this my specific journey to where it is is I do really like business I like the strategy of business and therefore that's why I own an agency that's why I went freelance to where I am
0: me too so I love this too but what um like the whole business and um just like not being an employee is Absolutely. I feel like we have a very similar stories. I always knew like I wanted to start a business. I got the MBA, but I never knew what it was going to be about. I was like, <laughs> as soon as I find that idea, then I'll start that business. That's, that's so interesting. Yep. So, but you got into instructional design. So you you got to tell us like, yes, you kind of fell into it, but like, did you ever have a job working for the man or what? Yeah, I
1: did. So <laughs> Basically, (laughs) always. No, I did because my journey, I'm from Ireland. So success looks like you go to university after school. So I moved to Australia straight after school. And basically, because my parents told me to, I went to university and I studied entrepreneurship and fashion. And I had a retail job then. So I worked in a phone company, just selling phones on the side and There I got the opportunity, I was was kind of always searching for more anyway, and the owner of the store said, hey, do you want to help the new people, you know, train and get, bring them into the store, because I was good at selling phones, so they wanted the new people to also be good, so that was my first taste of what training is, and I loved it, I loved that you could be creative, I loved that you could solve a problem, again, I was tapping into like mentoring and coaching others, so that was my first taste of training, and I finished university and I did like community college at the same time doing graphic design um and the only thing that kind of relates to where I am now is graphic design because I use that day-to-day in what I'm doing so I don't think to be an instructional designer you need to go to university that's my personal opinion uh you're a doctor so I'm sure you have <laughs> another opinion by on I agree. that formal kind of <laughs> qualification yay um, but basically, yeah, I got a taste for what training was. And then I was like, shit, maybe that's what my career is going to be. So I started applying for what training jobs were. I didn't still know what they were, but I had this one mini project that I'd done that was my portfolio piece that I could then apply to an interview and my resume. So what I done, and I know you're really good at helping people kind of prepare for these situations, but In Australia, I don't know if it's the same over there, we use what's called the STAR method. So it's situation, task, action, and result. And so I started applying for jobs with the word training in the title. And then I was able to apply that one little project that I did in a retail store with no experience to tell the situation, task, action, and result to apply for these jobs. And I landed an interview and I got that job and it was in HR And that was my first kind of taste of basically understanding, you know, L&D, learning and development, organizational development, like the actual internal world of our kind of clients. I got to understand their pain points and their aspirations. From there, someone was like, hey, you should apply for this job. It's in e-learning. I was like, I don't know what e-learning is, but okay. Because I was on a maternity leave contract and it was coming to an end. So I applied for that and I I again didn't have any e-learning experience but what I did have was my graphic design kind of background so for that job I created a fake e-learning course and when I look back at it now I'm like oh my god that is terrible but what I think they saw in me was like going the extra mile to get the job so from that job working in an organization for two and a half years I learned my learning and development experience grew and i still wasn't an instructional designer at this stage I didn't even know what that term was but I learned how to run projects how to deal with stakeholders and as I was there I was kind of I always thought I'm going to be a CEO and go up the ladder within an organization I got disengaged because I saw how management and all that kind of jargon happens at the higher level and then I was like okay I don't like that stuff and it was process of elimination I had a really good leader who allowed me to experiment on his projects do higher duties all these good things of the 70 20, 10. I was playing a lot in that 70 and I was really figuring out what I liked doing and what I didn't like doing and what I did like doing and I didn't know what it was at the time was instructional design and e-learning. So I started to get really specific on those skills that I did like, the things that I was passionate about, the things I was reading about in my own time at home. And then over time, I always knew since I was a kid, I was going to start my business, but like you didn't know what that was going to be. Um, so... I went to, there was this guy who in Brisbane, he's kind of like the hero of like instructional design and he's like a big personality and he was coming to our organization to meet with another team. I was like, I want to go learn with him. So I was like, ask my boss, can I sit in that meeting? And I like sat there and I just freaking wrote everything he said. And I was like, so like in awe of what he said. And the next day I got an email from him. And at this time I had figured out, I'm going to start an e-learning business but I did still didn't know instructional design. (laughs) So that's a little bit of a challenge, but, um, all right. So I get an email the next day and he says, come work for me. And I'm at this point where I'm ready to take the leap. I'd learned everything I could from a learning and development perspective in the team that I was in. I was like, I want to start my business now. I need a new challenge. Or I could go work for this guy in this agency that's winning awards and learn from them. And it was a big dilemma at the time because I was really starting to understand who I was as a human, what was important to me and chasing my passion and purpose. And I knew that I needed to run my own business. However, I wasn't ready to run a business and I needed to go work for an agency to really understand the business side of what we do. And so I went there and I worked for them for a little under a year. And that's where I learned about instructional design. That's where I learned about Kathy Moore and um, CAF from Alan's interactions and adult learning principles and all these things. So if you think about my journey from an instructional designer, it's 11 months. And that's where I got my training. Um, and that's where I was able to practice and learn on the job to get me up to, I'd say above average in the industry here in Australia with the skills and what an instructional designer does here. I was able to also run workshops. I was then able to quote. I knew the stuff around contracts. I got to play tools. And so that was my kind of journey to an instructional designer. And all along, all the pieces of the puzzle kind of came together. And I didn't think... I was like, where the hell is this going? But now it's put me in such a great empathetic situation to understand, you know, and empathize with what goes on with my customers and what is their actual needs and how I can help solve those problems as an
0: instructional designer. So then you must have made the transition. And yes. what, I mean, what was your ramp? What was, I mean, how did you make that transition to being a full-time freelancer?
1: Okay. So I became, I hated that agency. Um, <gasps> it really tore me down as a human. Like I, I was a real self confident self-belief kind of person. They just ripped my values out because I didn't like the way they do did business. And it got to a point where I, my values didn't align. So I resigned with nothing to go to. And, but I knew I'd learned enough from them now. So I resigned and I basically told everyone that I knew that I had resigned and I was going to start an e-learning and instructional design business. And within a week, one of those people reached out and said, Hey, I need some help you want to come on board. And so as a freelancer then, I was like contracting, subcontracting for someone, and that was my first gig. And since then, the momentum has continued to grow. So 3 years in, more people have reached out, um repeat customers coming through. So yeah, I basically resigned, but that the lesson there is you can't be half pregnant. And I love that saying because you're either all in when you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. And you need to, especially if you're going to be a freelancer or a contractor, you need to know within you that you're going all in on it. You basically, like, it's hard. It is hard to continuously try to get contracts, continuously try to get work. And unless you have a fire within you to make that happen and really know that this is going to help you live your ultimate life or make your life fulfilling, don't do it. If you think, "Oh, I'll be nice, I'd like to work for myself, like I don't want to work for a boss anymore," you can do that, but you'll fail.
0: Yeah, because there's so many other things that you have to do all the time, in addition to what it is that you love to do, which is the you know the idol part.: Yep, and-
1: yep, so yeah, there's a big difference between being an amazing idol and being a freelancer. And I think you really need to assess, are you the kind of person that can do what you love through the skills of being an idol? But can you quote, can you deal with client complaints? Can you do with, deal with pushing back on scope? Can you quote, can you continuously get money coming in? Can you lead a team? What happens when um, the team makes mistakes and you have to go back to the client? There's so much more to it. And the thing that I would share is there's nothing wrong with being a number two employee you know the best instructional designer at an agency the best instructional designer in-house in a corporate but there is a big difference between going out on your own and really understand what that passion what that fire is within you to make sure that you can be successful in it
0: what are all the things that a freelancer does um and I mean I have some idea obviously but but from your perspective like what are all the things that a freelancer needs to like keep in mind before they even make the transition like besides okay. you know the work part
1: i think one thing is you can't switch off when you run your own business or you're a freelancer you're kind of always thinking about the business um so But I would encourage you not to do, not to respond to emails and things like that, unless it's business hours, because people will take advantage of that as a freelancer. I think you need to think of, you know, there's business structures. Um, It might be a little bit different in America or wherever you are in the world. But, you know, are you what we call a sole trader here? Are you a company? Are you a partnership? And then there's all different tax things that come with that. Um, there's deciding on how much you're going to charge, you might think a certain dollar figure, because it's more than you get in your corporate job is awesome. But a big chunk of that now goes to tax. So do you have to charge more? And what is that price that you're going to charge? Um I think there's goal setting. I think it's really important to know what your goals are. What are you trying to achieve for yourself as an individual? What are you trying to achieve in your freelance life. And that might be, you know, get financial goals cause that's probably a big part of it. But how many holidays do you want per year? Are you working solo? Are you subcontracting? How much time in your week are you actually spending as a freelancer doing what you want to do? And then you've got to like track those goals and keep going with it continuously because being a business owner is you have to do a daily activity every single day to get more business then there's things like, you know, creating a personal brand. So, you know, having a LinkedIn account, having an Instagram account where you are getting out there and people are getting to know you because we are fortunate in our industry to be able to work anywhere in the world with anyone in the world. And there's lots of opportunity for that, but people need to know who you are. So if you're trying to build a personal brand, the steps there that I would encourage you to do is jump into the groups and add value to people's comments. If people have a problem or they're looking for a tip, add value, give them something, you know, share a resource or share your experience so they can see that you're helpful. And the idea there is the more you give and the more that you share, the more people find out about you and they will not see you as annoying salesperson that's always trying to slide into the DMS and um, say, Hey, this is what I do. If you ever need my services, come and help me. People don't want to be sold to in that way. You need to add value. And then when they do need your help and our the thing is about our industry is contracts take a long time to be signed. It can be six months. It can be a year before that very first coffee date or that very first interaction online before you're actually working and doing a financial exchange with someone. So you need to be patient and constantly building your business and taking actions every day to get those kinds of results. Um, I think you need to think about, you know, finding clients. Where are they? Who is your ideal client? What's your niche? Are you focusing on teachers and teacher training? Are you in the in university space? Are you working for corporates? Are you working in the mining industry? Um, so you might have a personal interest in stuff that you're like, I'm going to just work in mining because I have like a science background and I love learning about how people can blow up mines and get minerals out of the earth. And so therefore that's your niche. Um, Then it's about, you know, quoting, quoting is really challenging. Um, It's there's so much more to quoting than you actually think. So quoting, you know, I think you need to list every single thing that you do down. And we have a resource actually to help with this. And I've done a video on YouTube, like how to quote effectively. Basically, you need to write down every single thing, and I mean like sending an email. That's 15 minutes. You will implement client feedback. Well, you, first of all, you receive the email from the client, you open it, then you implement the feedback. You got to check that. You got to send it back to the client. All these things take time, and then time is money. So you, when you're quoting, you need to really itemize every single step that you go through um, to help you quote accurately so that you're actually getting paid for what you deserve because it's very easy to go, this amount of dollars, oh my God, I'm getting paid so much. And then you do the project and you're like, holy shit. And then that takes you on to like, that's a good point about scope. Like what is included in your, um, in the actual project? Because someone might go, I need you to just write the curriculum for like this three course thing and they're 20 minutes. And you're like, oh sweet, it's this amount of money. And then, but what's involved in that? And what's your expectations of what you think is involved and what is your customers. And you've got to get really aligned on that. Otherwise you get scope creep and you might be working after hours, really long hours to get shit done that you didn't expect that you'd have to do. Um, There's so much more. There's like contracts, there's project management, there's like continuously learning yourself. You never stop learning. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have specific questions on any of this?
0: Oh my gosh, all oh, this is so true. And if anybody else's like head is exploding, um, that's exactly <laughs> what it feels like to live it too. Because
1: Yeah, so true, so true. I mean,
0: the thing is like, yeah. even when I went and got my MBA, it's just the same thing. as like, you can go and get a degree in instructional design, you'll get a degree in business, but it does not matter until you actually do that work. And then you realize like, oh my gosh, like I didn't learn anything about like, that's practical in nature about how I'm supposed to like perform these duties, you know, like the whole like nuance of, uh, quotes and, uh, getting clients and marketing and targeting client avatars. And it's just, it's, it's a lot. It really is a lot. So, um, what about, uh, you know, if they, if somebody's like, okay, I, you know, I'm not intimidated by the list because I just, I know I'm going to figure it out. So what is your, um, advice? Say they're like currently working a full-time job, right? And they've like got, they've got the fire, they got the hunger and they want to make a transition to a full-time freelancer. What would you, I mean, if you could have talked to yourself before you quit your job, what do you think you would have done ahead of time before you made the switch?
1: Yeah, I think Google any questions you have, because all the information for running a business, all that is online for free. So anything that you're not sure of, just go Google it. Tell everyone, tell people that you want to do it um, and try land that first contract. Do it on the side. If you're afraid to take the leap, do it. If you're serious about it, you will do it on your lunch breaks. You will do it before work. You will do it after work and that's when you know you're the difference between an employee and a freelancer um i think being able to do it on the side allows you to learn as you go and i'm continuously learning now you know we make mistakes all the time and go okay next time i'm going to put this into the contract so that we don't get screwed again um but you don't need to have all the answers and you never will have all the answers But if you can land your first contract after telling heaps of people that this is what you want to do and it works out well, then just go do it. Especially if your side hustle is starting to kind of equal and take over your job. If you stop being able to contribute in your real job and your corporate job and you are not performing to the best there because your, your attention and your passion is on your side hustle, then you need to go. You, like, the company needs deserves that, but also you're ready because you're all in. You're like fully pregnant on that idea.
0: That's so funny. Um, it's so funny that you say like fully pregnant on that idea because I transitioned to a full time like business owner during maternity leave. So, oh really? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a good time to do it actually. <laughs> yeah, because you do think differently. And I think go on holidays. Hey, like going on holidays is similar to being like on maternity leave you think so differently about life and that's where those ideas about what you want for life come up and if it is that fuck I can do it then just go do it don't go back to your job
0: (laughs) the one thing that I wish that um, I would have done because I did the side hustles before I moved into a Mm -hmm. full-time Freelancer, I wish I would have taken that side hustle money I was making and saved it for all those roller coaster rides that happen when you're waiting for that mm-hmm. next invoice to come in. Because that will absolutely happen unless you are selling products, and um, what you usually are not. You're a service-based industry. Uh, you are going yep. to have invoices that could take 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. Yeah. Uh, or they- that. It's a really good point. I wish I would have done that and I have like a little bit of money saved up but uh it was not enough it was
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's so true what you say because we work with medium to large organizations and they have their own kind of Financial rules and procurement rules, which means that if you send an invoice, it doesn't mean it's going to get paid in 14 days or 30 days. It's as per their rules, unless you get written into an exception. And sometimes you can say that I'm a small business, you know, I'm a solo entrepreneur and they will change the rules for you. But most of the time it will be, you'll get 30, you'll get paid 30 days after the end of next month or 60 days or 90 days, which means that your cash flow isn't there. So an important thing then to build in is how you how you invoice. So in our contracts, we'll say it's 50% upfront and 50% at the end because we can already be like bloody 70% through the project and we haven't even been paid yet. Now, the good thing about working with medium to large organizations is generally you do get paid. So you don't really have that risk of, you know, it's a small business owner and they run out of business. So therefore you don't get paid. But make sure you build into your invoicing money up front to cover those costs. And if they do have longer terms, make that percentage, the first invoice really large to cover until you get paid at the end. Um, So another breakdown might be 40, 30, 30 as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's excellent advice because otherwise, you know, if they're your only client and you're working for two months without pay, uh, it's going to be very hard to stay a freelancer for long. (laughs) That's true.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And like the other thing is
1: it's very easy to forget about like the tax side of it. So here in Australia, we, so you say you get $100, let's just use a real easy figure. So our company tax is like 27% or something like that. So which means that essentially $30 of that $100 goes straight to the tax man. Then we have another thing called GST, which is 10% goods and services tax. So $40 of that $100 is not yours. So I can only get 60 bucks And that's if I don't use subcontractors, if I do it on time and don't go over. So you really need to always save whatever your tax stuff is. The minute it comes into your bank account, transfer it straight into another account where you do not touch it so that at the end of the year or whenever you have to do your taxes, that money is sitting there and you don't think you've made all this money and spent it all and live in the high life with your Bentleys and your cash on the bed and you're taking photos of it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you don't want to get caught at the end of the year where you haven't put aside your tax and then you owe a big debt and you don't have that money sitting there to pay.
0: Oh my gosh, this is my life too. I, it's called the, there's a book written called Profit First, like Mike, okay. Mike Michalowicz or whatever his last name is. And it says this exact thing that you just said. Uh, Oh really? Yeah, and it's like it's called profit first, and it's like you definitely put your uh, taxes away. You also um, should have different accounts for like expenses, profit, owner pay, and where your income comes in. And so that way, you it's even like you are able to track where your money is going and seeing what you have to reinvest in the business. And if you put profit first, then um, it helps you, uh, you know, prioritize profit in your company. So
1: yeah Anyway. And that it reminds me of um keeping timesheets. So timesheets like are good for invoicing and stuff, but they're also good to learn about the scope of that previous project and how long it actually took you. So that when you're quoting the next project, you can go, wow, I really underquoted on that. If there's a lot more work to it than's involved than I thought initially. So this next project, it looks similar. I'm gonna use that as my kind of judgment on how to quote for this one. So I encourage you to to, like keep track of your timesheets so that you can get more and more accurate on your quoting. And then like the important thing is it's always scary to ask for money. So we get phone calls, we get emails and they're like, oh, can you please quote on this? And can you like respond to this request for proposal or quote? And like for us, those things, they take like two days, like a lot of time and it's not even guaranteed work. So a good thing, a good tip is to ask for the budget upfront. And like, you can literally just go, what is your approved budget? And sometimes they're like, oh, I don't know, you know, we well, don't know that right now. But if they're serious about actually doing the project, their business will have an approved budget. So you need to find out what that figure is, um, because that will help you know what's the kind of work that you're going to do, what. I'm like, my mind's like gone all crazy now with everything, (laughs) but find out what the approved budget is so that you can quote appropriately. And also sometimes it's not worth your time. Um, And sometimes you're like, oh, this is a bigger project than I anticipated. I need to ask more questions because that's not what I had in my head.
0: Oh yeah. I love asking what their budget is ahead of time. That is like one of my favorite things to do. And then I say, okay, especially if their budget is small, I was like, well, okay. Uh, You can get this and this for that budget amount or whatever. And then like either they think what I can only get that. Um, And they like change their budget or um, you know, like then we just like, you know, you can go, you can go on to Upwork and find somebody else.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's okay. Yeah. Because the thing is, like, you'll know, Robin, as well, like, the people that want a cheap little project, they are painful.
0: I do know that. the
1: people that (laughs) value your work and pay more, like, they're a pleasure to work with. They want to solve real world problems and they want to do it right. And as an instructional designer, they're the pro- they're the projects you want to work on. Is that what you can relate to?
0: Uh, absolutely. The worst clients I've ever had were the ones that paid me the least amount of money. And I found them through um, like those gig economy sites, like an Upwork. Mm. Well, do you
1: recommend that
0: when for freelancers starting out? <sighs> I don't know. I'm torn. Honestly, I think I... I, you know, I just, you just get paid so little, but you do get like, you know, a taste of working with clients, but you're going to put a lot of the same amount of time in as far as um, creating proposals and applying for projects where I feel like now that I'm a little more seasoned in this, um, your time would be better spent building a network And letting those people know that you want to do e-learning courses or building like marketing funnels so that you, um, you know, engage your brand better and make your uh, portfolio better. And those kinds of things, I see that as being more value to your business than going and wrestling with the people who are looking for the cheapest designer. Yeah. That, I mean, that's yeah. my opinion in my experience. I've gotten a few projects off of Upwork, uh, but mostly they just contested price. Or if they didn't, they got upset that it costs more than they thought it would.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a thing, right? So what's your journey on self-belief and how your belief in yourself has shifted to the clients and the projects that you're working on?
0: Oh, my gosh. I mean, I think I want to hear you talk about this too, but it's absolutely because the thing about being a business owner, and you will hear this from any kind of like business book that you read, that it is the business owner's own mindset that determines like how much they charge, how successful they are. Um, the way things work out, it's like about the gratitude and the value that you put in yourself before anybody will, will give that back to you. Just like you said, um, if you want to attract clients, you got to give, 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 and then you will be in a place to receive. It's like a, like be a vessel. Um, Mm. but I feel like it's this, it's the same way for clients, um, and your business and, uh, and, and money and. It, you just—it's it, a—it is a mind game. As much it is as it is about like doing good work, it's also about your own belief systems. And it's changed drastically since I started.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's—it is. Yeah, it's cool. Hey, to like see—you know—when you, know, when you f- first start out, you have that imposter syndrome and all this kind of stuff, and you're just like, a contract's a contract, and I'll do it for five bucks. Yeah, and then. But when you are just like, ask for a bit more or really, like it is what you say, a mindset game. And I think I encourage every one of you idols to work on your inner game, work on your mindset, work on your self-love, practice gratitude, like all these things that the people that are successful, not successful financially or that, but living a fulfilling life do in their daily habits, because that really does radiate out, from you and allows you to work on the projects that you want to work on charge what you want to charge and what you feel valued for it does come from within because the small changes in how your posture is when you go to a networking event if you believe in yourself if you love yourself you stand tall and you speak from within you speak authentically you attract people who are attracted to that And then therefore they're more aligned to you as a human. And that's where things like, it's real weird, but it is true. Like that's where the better jobs come from because you're attracting like minded people who believe in what you believe in. So I definitely encourage you guys to do the inner work and work on your mindset because that confidence allows you to like go, I'm worth this much. And I'm not going to work with people like this. And I'm not going to accept that. And you basically start to create your ultimate life.
0: It's so true. It's so true. It does sound so bananas, but it's, it's true too, even for those who are like out there looking for their job, right? It's about the confidence and the belief in yourself when you go to those interviews. And it's the same thing about when you are going to get those clients because you're still going to have to interview. With your clients. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's so true. It really is. Like you interview all the time. And even if you run a business or you are a contractor, you're still a freelancer at the end of the day. You're looking for contract after contract, opportunity after opportunity. And each time you meet a human being, whether that's virtually or in person, it is an interview. They're sussing you out. Are you going to be a good fit? Can we work together? Can you help me achieve what I need you to?
0: So I just want to ask you, do you think that it is useful for people to get some corporate instructional design experience first before they turn freelancer or I mean you kind of mentioned that you did that in your story. I did that. What do you think? I think uh
1: for oh, it's hard. Yes, I think it is valuable. Um, it's valuable for people that don't have the confidence yet. So they fit, it's like a security comfort zone blanket type thing. Um, the other benefit is that you, it allows you to really empathize with your customer. So I know where I get value from it now is when I'm in there talking with new clients. I know their pain points I can speak their language it's like I'm in their team in their eyes and so they go she gets it and it's reassuring to them that they don't have to fill me in on everything because I understand their world and therefore we can just cut all that and jump straight into solving the problem um, and I think from that perspective you know being able to speak the language and really understanding their world allow it puts you in a better position so from that those two perspectives. If you don't have the confidence yet or you really want to understand and appreciate your customers, then do it. But if you have a lot of self-belief, if you're not going to be the person that is actually in with your clients, if you're going to have other people doing it, then skip
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what do you think? I, I just wanted to jump in. Okay. So I, I, I'm with you. I think that there's a lot of value in getting um, corporate experience first before you become a freelancer. Um, and also, you just like when you went and you sat under that e-learning company mm-hmm. and worked for them, you got to learn how to quote. You got to learn yeah. how to, um, you know, figure out the scope of a project. You got to learn how to work with those stakeholders and the whole process, right? It almost became ingrained in you, just like you said. You got trained, and so corporate instructional yeah. design. If you know you want to be a freelancer, you can go and get f- paid training as an instructional designer and an e-learning developer in a corporate office and also you'll build a network that you wouldn't have if you didn't have Mm. that job, uh, you know, in corporate. So I would encourage people, uh, to certainly like, if that's what you know what you want to do, then at least have one, one corporate experience. Um, just so that you, even just so that, you know, like that's the Mm. kind of client that you'd want. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, A lot of people
1: I was just going to say a lot of people float from freelance and then it gets really hard. So they go into corporate because they don't want to find clients and then they love like freelance is lonely. So (laughs) if you're (laughs) like sitting in your virtual office, it sounds great, but like, I don't talk to people most of the day and I message my team on Skype and things like that. But if you're a person that gets energy from other people, you know, working in a corporate office is brilliant because you've got your team right there. You can bounce ideas around and brainstorm and you have meetings and you're collaborating. But as a freelancer, especially if you're solo, like you don't have that opportunity unless you have a network of like-minded people like Robin and I, and you're reaching out and you're saying, hey, I've got this problem. Can we just bounce ideas for five minutes on the phone?
0: So good. So what is your best and final tips for those who want to transition or even those who are already freelancing? Like what do you, what do you want to tell them? All right. Don't be half pregnant. And
1: then The other thing is give value. So go and add value and help other people through LinkedIn groups, Instagram, whatever it is, and then see what happens.
0: I love it. Thank you so much, Kim. This has been truly uh, like a pleasure and I've really enjoyed, uh, you know, talking about freelancing with you.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it, and it's really nice to follow your journey. Um, that's really inspiring. So thank you for having me on here.
0: Absolutely, and we'll uh, I'll make sure to link to some of your freelancing resources that you have on your website, and uh, and we'll and that way that uh, people can keep in touch with you too.
1: Awesome. Good luck on your journey being an idol.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Kim. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you'll need to land your first job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Go to idlecourses.com and get on the wait list.